Well, let's try this one. Good evening. It's rubbish. Good evening. I'm much better. Just to check you're awake. It's lovely to be here, honestly. Uh, it's been uh, quite a day, really, for me to be back in uh, Christchurch Ward. I was here. Some of you may not know this. I was here for 17 years. It was our home. Uh, we lived just across the road at number four, actually, um, a nice short uh, route to church and was part of the staff here for 12 years and uh, look back on it as a time of great joy uh, and great in- enjoyment in the gospel if one's allowed to do that. I think that's all right, Joe, isn't it? That's great. Jolly good. Uh, and for me to be back, and yet to be here as, as part of, of this crowd for the week, um, was wonderful. And when Joe and I talked about what we would do and we came to Revelation, uh, I must admit that after I said I'd do it, um, one or two regrets kind of came to my heart and mind. And I thought, I must be crazy taking this on. And yet, as I think you've heard, God has been wonderfully gracious in speaking his word to his people this wonderful crowd over here. And I'm just going to try and wrap that up tonight if I can and just uh, finish off what we've been doing. We've we've actually pretty well been through the whole book. Um, So I'm just going to give all of you people out there, and you guys know all this, but uh, just a little bit of background so we know what we're talking about uh, and we know where this comes from. It was written, it's probably the last, in fact it is, the last book of the New Testament, written around AD 95, uh, at a time when the church was being persecuted. It wasn't fun being a Christian when the Emperor Domitian uh, decided to proclaim himself to be a god. And that caused Christians immense tension and difficulty because they had to decide who really was God. Was it the god that they served, the god that they went to worship? Or was it this guy who sat on a throne in Rome? And that was a real question. The book is written in this, uh, what some people find slightly strange, apocalyptic language, which Christians understood all the images, many from Daniel, from Zechariah, from other places in the Old Testament. They got it. They understood what John was trying to say. John stuck on a Roman penal colony called Patmos. Not a nice place to be. Cut off from his Christian friends and dumped in this place, saw this incredible vision of the risen Jesus. And that's what makes this book for me so precious and what's been worth Yeah, battling with it at times this week to really try and grasp it because it it reveals to us, probably with more clarity than than many other places, who Jesus is and what he's really like. Uh, And I believe quite simply, and I know many of you do here, that uh, that's what our world needs to hear. That's what our, our place needs to see. They need to see the truly risen Christ. And by the time we get to this place, uh, these poor Christians who were really struggling with how they lived, and uh, I think we've learnt too that even in that situation, when you never knew quite what was going to happen to you as a Christian, as somebody said earlier, God is bigger and stronger and more awesome than anything evil that Satan can conjure up. And friends, we need to think that tonight. This world has got plenty of evil that throws at us. And we have to deal with. And we have to understand, quite simply, that our God is an awesome God. We sing it with the children, don't we? But I'm not sure we believe it, some of us. Our God is a God of awesome power and majesty and might and strength. And don't kid yourself, he isn't, because he is. And when we got to Friday, we got to the New Jerusalem. That was Friday morning, the last morning we were at house party. Uh, we saw the new Jerusalem. 
Now the old Jerusalem was where God's people lived. It's still there. I'll be there in six weeks' time with a group of people. Uh, And that's still a historical place. But the new Jerusalem is this new vision that John had of where God's people will dwell. And by the time we get here, Satan has been thrown into that lake of fire. Now look, we need to hear this stuff. We need to hear that that Satan ultimately, it's not a kind of jousting match between God and Satan, you know, and, oh, I wonder who will win. That's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches very clearly that God is a sovereign God. God is in control. And Satan only can do what God permits him to do. Read the book of Job if you don't believe me. And there we have this this business of, of Satan being cast out. In the end, Satan loses. That's why I kept telling these guys, back the winner. Follow the one who has gained the victory. That's Jesus on the cross. And who now sits enthroned in heaven in glory with God's people ranged around him. What a picture. If you don't get excited by that, go home and turn your telly on and dream about it or something. I don't know. Just get a life. That's how wonderful it is. And we've got all sorts of wonderful pictures along with the river. We'll go back to these in a minute with clear water. We have a throne from which the water flows. Trees on either side of the river. Very pretty, but what does it all mean? Well, let me take you right back, if I may, just briefly, to the creation account in Genesis. And this is the whole Bible story from Genesis 1 to Revelation 22. You're going to get the whole Bible tonight. Well, bits of it anyway, but let's follow me as I go through it. God created the heavens and the earth. The pinnacle of his creation was mankind. And we, uh, as human beings, as his children, were to live on it, to steward it, to look after it. But we were to be obedient. And the test of that was that tree in the middle of the garden. And Satan, you know what he did, don't you? Most of you know this only too well. He, he kind of beguiled them and said, it's okay to disobey God. It's okay to make your own code up. It's okay to do as you want to do. It's okay to put yourself in the center of your life. And that's what led to the fall and brought sin into the world. And it's been a pain ever since, hasn't it? And we've had to live with it. But now when we get to this place in in Revelation, Satan is finished and sin has been conquered. The blood of the Lamb has been shed. And that is, as Revelation and other places in the Bible put it, has covered, beautiful word, isn't it, that? (coughs) Covered the sin of those who bow the knee to Jesus. The garden is now a city. It's a whole lot bigger. It's an upgrade, if you like. It's like you get on a plane when you've got the cheek enough to ask, you know, for a better seat. Uh, And you get one with about two inches more knee room than you had before. And and you get an upgrade. You think, how wonderful, I've got an upgrade. Well, here we've got a massive upgrade. And here we have the place where God dwells. Christians here tonight, do you live as if that is your eternal hope? Or, Or do you somehow hope that the world will get better? That the economic situation will improve? That our life will become simpler and you know, exams will become easier, not like this year when they got a bit harder, seemingly. You know, is that the way you think? Is that the way you, you long for? And, oh, a bit of God laced in with it would be rather nice. Our only hope 
is that one day, you wonderful mob down there that I've set the joy of spending a week with, and all you people out there who know the Lord Jesus Christ, will be with him forever. A lot of other faiths have a go at it. Even Star Trek. Do you remember Star Trek? The first one, the proper one, not the rubbish they put in after that. Um, but, but even, what, I watched one episode, fascinated, that even Vulcans like Spock long to be in the Garden of Eden. Well, it didn't do him a lot of good, did it, really? And various other religions, Mormons dream of polygamy, Muslims dream of sexual paradise, Buddhists dream of nirvana. Plenty of people long for something beyond, something bigger and better and more wonderful. But for us, it is a place where God dwells. It's a place for believers who worship God and the Lamb forever. The Lamb who died to take away sin, whose blood was shed. I'll keep saying it because it's so important. So important. And if we go to Revelation 22, we see what the angel showed John in this, this, as it were, final picture that he shows him. The river of the water of life. The river of life. Now there were rivers in the Garden of Eden, weren't there? They they watered it, Genesis 2.10, and they gave it life. Here it is, the river of the water of life. So pure and so wholesome, it's described as being bright and clear as crystal beautifully pure, this water that flows. And there are connections here, aren't there, with places like Ezekiel 47, where the river flowed out from the temple. And if you go to Jesus' famous saying, the rivers of living water. And Jerusalem doesn't have a river, so we take it to be a figurative meaning. And this river flows from the throne. The throne on which Jesus sits, restored to his rightful place, His saving work for mankind complete. Now, we need to understand something here. I once stood on a thing called Masada. Now, Masada is a big rock uh, in the middle of nowhere, in sort of down near Sodom and Gomorrah, Dead Sea, that sort of territory. And uh, when I was stood on the top of it, I saw this huge black cloud over Moab, you know, where Ruth came from, just sort of over the way there. And I I just sort of said to the guide who was with us, I said, "Um, is that likely to come our way, do you think? And... uh, because, uh, you know, being an Englishman, I didn't have any plastic Mac or anything, or a brolly, or any of that sort of stuff. So I thought, I'm going to get soaked here. And he looked me straight in the eye. And he said, uh, no, Dave, he said, God's going to bless us today. Because you see, in that culture, in that territory, rain and water that flow are a symbol of the wonderful blessing of God. And so here we have this picture, this lovely crystal clear water, pure water, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb down the middle of the great city, through this city where God's people dwell, flows His blessing. He lavishes it on us. It flows and flows and flows. I don't know where you're at tonight and whether you're thinking doesn't feel much like God is blessing me now. Going through pretty tough times. Well, you're no different to the guys that received this. They didn't know what was going to happen when the knock on the door would come, when the job would be lost, 
when in the ultimate you'd be declared that you needed to be at the gladiatorial place and you were taken away the next day and you were given a net to fight a lion with. You never quite knew when Domitian and his merry men would do that to you. And so to know that there is going to be a place where the saints dwell, where God's people dwell, and through it is going to continually flow the blessing of God. I can't wait. I think I may have one or two more things to do on this planet. But maybe one or two of you, if I may speak to those who are perhaps even older than I am. And I got a lot of stick about being old this week from some of this crowd, particularly Gareth, but I love you, Gareth. It's all right. It's not the point, you see. It's going to be the time when we get there is going to be a place of blessing flowing and flowing and flowing. And what else is there? Tree of life. We're back to Eden. The tree of life of Genesis 2.9. And the picture of verse 2 is, is a kind of picture of parkland. And the tree appears to be some kind of huge vine, the vine being the symbol of the people of, of God, of great length, and it bears fruit. It bears 12 kinds, fruit for each month. You get in the picture here. Are you getting this, this feel and this understanding that God is just going to go on providing? It's here again. The tree of life bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for something else we'll come to in a minute. But that tree just goes on. Now, um, I tried, when I lived in Forward actually, and, and I lived just over there somewhere, I tried to grow an apple tree. Now, my wife, if she was here, would tell you that my gardening skills are minimal. I am a man under authority in the garden. I fill bags up with rubbish and I occasionally mow, but that's about my limit, really. Uh, and I did actually try to plant an apple tree and I just watched the thing go about two feet high and then go doing like that. That was the end of it. I can't do it. This tree, this tree goes on and on and on. And it feeds and it helps, and it guides, and it, it's always there. The vine of God's goodness. The tree grows on either side of the river. It's for everyone. Its goodness reaches to all. Month by month, there's no more death to cut short this abundant tree like my apple tree died. It just goes on. The pain and the suffering of humanity will be no more. There won't be a holocaust in heaven. There won't be a Vietnam war. There won't be 9-11. There won't be Afghanistan or Syria. Because as we'll see later on, there will be peace. Peace what? Like a river. You see it? And there is the Christian's hope. And go on, if you were with me, there's in verse 3, no more curse. That's, what's going to be, that's what it's going to be like in heaven. And the word, just go back to the tree in verse 2, is the same word actually as the tree on which Jesus died. The tree of death has become the tree of life. At Calvary, the ravages of man's sin were destroyed. Life came out of death. Although we still battle with sin, the victory over sin has been won. 
And when we get to heaven, we will be satisfied with serving him and worshipping him. And that's why we talk about being saved. We will be saved from the ravages of sin. And we will be a free people to worship and serve the living God. And go on with me after that. No more curse. None of that stuff that plagues us and gets on our tellies and we worry about it. Uh, And we see also that in verse 4, we will see his face. Now, I'm, if you'll forgive me, just going to go a bit soppy for a minute or two. Is that okay? Oh, well, one or two of you think it's all right. I'll keep going anyway. But I haven't seen my wife's face for about a week. Uh, Oh, that was good. I like that. That's brilliant. Well done, guys. I wasn't expecting a thing there. I haven't seen her face. We don't have Skype and all that sort of rubbish. Uh, And Tuesday, sorry guys, if you like Skype, good luck to you. Um, But I will see her face on Tuesday. I was expecting another R at that point, but it didn't come, so don't worry about it. Uh, But I will see her face, and it's great. And and we're going to have some holiday together and and, uh, a bit of downtime and relaxing on the wonderful beaches of Cornwall in a heat wave and surfing and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, am I making you feel jealous? Great. Um, But here it says something profound. We will see his face. Now, that's profound, and let me tell you why. The God whose face cannot bear to look on sin, who is so holy, will look me and you, if you're a believer, straight in the eye with love and acceptance, and we will know a relationship of perfect love. Hey, how about that? We will be able to look into his face. Job said, didn't he? Job 19.25 His great hope was that he would see God face to face. In Psalm 17, David said, In righteousness I shall see your face. It's a longing that runs right the way through the Scriptures. 1 Corinthians 13, you know this verse. Now we see dimly, but then we shall see face to face. And seeing the Lord's face totally eradicates doubts, uncertainties, and ignorance. Some of you tonight may doubt the truth of what I'm telling you. You may say, I don't believe there's a heaven. I don't believe you go there. I believe this life goes on for however many years you get and someone puts you in a box, brings you to the front of a place like this and somebody puts you in the ground or burns you. That's it. Let me assure you that that's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that after death there will be the judgment and those who bowed the knee to Jesus will be with him forever and those who don't will not be with him forever and if you want me to use the word I will, it's a place called hell. And it's where everything is not good. Where everything is bad. It's not a place of fun. It's not a, as I said to this crowd this week, you know, where you buy your horns and have a laugh. Oh no. There is just no good thing there. So seeing the Lord's face is something very, very precious. And at last we have what God had with Adam and Eve in the garden before sin came along. A totally open, trusting relationship. It's been restored, it's back. And we are with him forever. And notice too that um, 
His name will be on our foreheads. Not the mark of the beast that we looked at earlier, guys. You remember that? The 666, the mark of the evil and the evil one that he puts it. Let me tell you, I, I went to Wembley once. Uh, I've been to Wembley a few times, actually. I quite like a bit of footy now and again. And I support a decent team. I thought I might not get away with that one, but there we go. Um, and, and the team is Tottenham Hotspur, of course, which you all know and love so dearly up here. I remember it well. Uh, and I once went to, to Wembley, and, and I painted my face. I don't know why I did this, but I did. I, I put a Union Jack on my face, because I thought, that is bound to mean that England wins. So I had my, you know how you do, you put your, well, perhaps you don't, Judith, but a lot of people do. They put a face on, and they say, I'm supporting England. Needless to say, that night, England lost. Um, but in heaven, somebody will write on your forehead, as it were, this person belongs to Jesus. This is one of his kids. This is one that he loves. He will write his name on our forehead because he loves us and we're his. What an amazing, amazing privilege. And if you're one of those people whose life has been rough, you've been let down, you've been through pain, you've been through traumas that you wish just hadn't happened, and you're sat here tonight, you've been abused, maybe even you feel your parents have let you down, and stuff has happened, if I may use that word, youth house party word. I'm not allowed to use that in an adult congregation, but I've used it here. You're going to get a wonderful, wonderful relationship with God in heaven. Which will undo, it says, all that pain, all that suffering, all that abuse, all that hurt, all that disease. People who've suffered illness for years on end will be given a new resurrection body. It will be a precious place and it's a place where the streets shine with the glory of the Lord. We sang it earlier. And we will have life to the full. Look at verse 5 and you can see it there. There will be no more night. Electricity companies are out of business. The light of the sun, for the Lord will give them light. They will reign forever. No more night, just light. Now, I had that experience recently. Heather and I went on a trip I thoroughly recommend it. Um, Hertie Gruten, it's called, all the way around the edge of Norway. Uh, and I thought of this verse when I was there because we went out on the deck at midnight and the sun was still up there. Extraordinary experience. And I just thought we, we never lost the sun for 24 hours. It just stayed out. Well, in heaven there will be light. 2 Corinthians 4, 6 helps us here, doesn't it? For God who said, let light shine out of darkness made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. I don't know how this works. Don't ask me scientific questions afterwards. The Bible doesn't answer them. It, it's not intended to. It's not trying to. It's just going to tell you the whole place will be lit with the glory of God in the face of Christ Jesus. And if you doubt me tonight... Verse 6 tells you what you ought to do. These words are trustworthy and true. Some of the young people here during this week have found Christ as their Saviour. Some of them have found that the words of truth, although uh, I don't pretend they found all of Revelation easily, bless them, they've, they've stuck with it brilliantly. 
But I think many times they've come to a place where God is bigger than they thought he was. And these words that I've been telling you tonight are trustworthy and true. The Lord God of the spirits of the prophets sent his angel to show us, his servants, the things that must soon take place. And then John begins to wrap up. I don't want to spend anywhere near as much time on this as I did on the, on the first bit. But I just want to say to you in verse 7 what it says. Behold, God says, I am coming soon. Now, we, we've had people around, haven't we, over the years who've tried to interpret that and they, they try and tell you when it's going to be and, and the other parts of the Bible make it very clear that we're not to speculate on that level. We're to be ready. Now, this is a, this is a really, really corny line, but I'm going to use it um, because... It's a friend of mine in Bristol who does this, a dear man of God who pastors a church in Bristol. And, and you know what he does every morning? He gets up uh, and he opens up his window and he looks out on the world and he says he does it in whatever weather. I believe him, he's a trustworthy man. And he simply utters the words, Lord, is it today... Is it today? And you see, that's why John writes here, I am coming soon. Because he's trying to create the expectancy. And I think we've lost it, guys. I really do. I think we've lost it because we've said things like, well, you know, I'm coping all right and uh, I must go to work tomorrow and I've got this to do and uh, I must go and practice this and uh, I've got that to do. Even though I'm retired, I'm busier than ever and I've got to do this, I've got to do that. And we lose this dynamic that says the Lord Jesus Christ could return at a time we don't know. And it could be very soon. That lovely Andre Crouch song, soon and very soon we are going to see the King. And some of you are. But some of you think it's going to be 60, 70 years ago. Maybe wrong. Because I'm coming soon. And then John goes on to commend those who keep the words of prophecy in this book. And John, he then sort of puts a, an epilogue at the end from verse 8 onwards. He says, That's, I just want you to know that it's I who've done this. I've said this. And remember who he said it to. He said it to persecuted Christians. The guys who don't know what the next day is going to bring. And I want to lovingly say to you tonight, nor do you. And nor do I. So we live, as one famous Christian said, in the light of his coming. We long for his coming. And we long to be those people who know Jesus personally on this planet so that we might be with him forever. I've sent my angel John says in verse 16 to give you this testimony I am the root, the offspring of David look at those images you guys have been brilliant at that this week of digging stuff out the spirit and the bride say come, let him who hears say come whoever is thirsty let him come let him take this gift of the water of life and I've been so encouraged by many of these folks here who've said one of the things that's come out of this house party is the passion, the desire to see God's word known in their schools, in their colleges. Do pray for them, won't you? 
that when somebody has a pot at them this week for being a believer, and that happens, I did enough house parties to know that's true, that you will just pray that these guys here will stay strong. They will serve God. We have evidence of that among them during the week. But as Joshua said, as for me, I will serve the Lord. And to finish the book, don't mess about with God's word. Look at verse 18. I warn everyone, and here's the words of the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds anything to them, God will add him the plagues described in this book. Don't mess about with God's word. Don't alter it. Don't change it. It's spoken. It's clear. It's to be read. It's to be studied. Yes, it is. Studied. Read. Looked at. Reflected upon. Learnt. Understood. And when you're as old as me, even then, you still can't say, I've sussed it. Keep on going. Keep on going. Yes, I am coming soon. Amen. Come. Lord Jesus. Let me finish as John does. The grace of the Lord be with God's people. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.